Hello, everyone. Welcome to the National League Central Whip Around, a podcast all about the National League Central of the Major League Baseball League. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Ben and Ryan. How are you guys doing? I'm excited, man. I mean, no one... I don't get the chance often to sit here and talk about the Cincinnati Reds because, I mean, they're not ever doing anything, at least not in a good way, relevant to the top of the tier leagues with, with MLB teams and, and the ones that are making the playoffs. So like, the fact that we've got kind of something centric to where uh, the area we're in with the Cardinals fans and them being impacted by the rest of the division where we get to talk about it and break it down, um, it's kind of a niche thing, but it, it's fun. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited to get this thing going. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very excited. Baseball is my favorite sport, obviously. And uh, going into the season, I didn't know how the Cubs were going to be, but obviously they made some key additions. And uh, I'm really excited to uh, boo the ever-living hell out of Wilson Contreras. So can't wait for that. Yeah, we'll be getting to that. Uh, but first, I should mention that uh, we will be going weekly, um, talking about the National League Central throughout the season. Um, I am a Cardinal fan myself. Ryan is a Cubs fan. And Ben here is a Reds fan. And we will cover the Brewers and Pirates as well. But most of the focus will be on those three teams. Um, getting started, uh, spring training starting up. Uh, pitchers and catchers are pitchers and catchers are coming in. Um we got games coming up here in the next week or so. How are you guys feeling? I mean, I'm, I'm ready to go. To see- yeah, no, you I'm go ex- first, Ryan. Go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm excited to see the beginning of spring training, mainly because it, at the start, you're kind of easing in a little bit, but also that's when you have a lot of the prospects that probably aren't going to break camp with the team, but maybe the higher ranked ones in camp. So just to name a few, I mean, like you may see an Ellie De La Cruz for Cincinnati, a highly ranked prospect, or if I'm just throwing some names out there for St. Louis, I don't know how close Win is to cracking the majors, but guys like that of high status, but may not break camp with the team. It feels like this is right around the time we're going to see them really make an impact early on to try and show I mean, if, if, if it gets into next weekend and you have these these high-ranked prospects get on absolute rolls to start things out, I mean, they're going to play their way into a position where it's like, hey, I don't know if you can cut me from camp because playing so well, like it, it maybe make it to where it's hard to send them home and keep them from breaking the, the opening opening day roster. So for me, I really like the first couple games, the first week or so, and then the last couple games of spring training. The time in the middle is cool, but whatever. The first beginning is when you really see, okay, who showed up ready to go. And then the end is where you have that final push for roster spots and the big leaguers really picking up playing time. So I think those are the most two exciting parts for me as a fan, especially one in Cincinnati who's taking a large look at prospects this spring training. One thing that I'm definitely excited for, uh, and I'm just going to kind of just go off of my team here, is I'm excited for one of two things. Actually, I guess three things. The first one is to see how Seiya Suzuki performs because last year in his first year, his spring training, it wasn't really the best. He he was starting to swing at a lot of uh, a bunch of pitches that he, he usually doesn't swing at. So I know this year he definitely wants to be better with his plate appearances and uh, how he is in the box. So it'll be exciting to see how he does uh, there. And I'm excited to see the first base battle because obviously the Cubs, they signed Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer, two veteran players. But one thing that I was really excited for going into the season before they'd signed that was we had a prospect in the name of Matt Mervis who absolutely just smashed in uh, AAA with the um with the Cubs uh, farm system and he's been phenomenal so I'm excited to see how he does I know he's not going to make the opening day roster strictly because they have Mancini and Hosman but he's a guy that definitely could come up and uh, 
definitely play for the Cubs this year, I think. And then you have Brennan Davis, who obviously is a stud. And then Pete Crow Armstrong is making his first spring training appearance with the Cubs this year. So that'll be exciting to see what he does. But kind of like you said, Ben, it's definitely a time to just watch the prospects and see how they perform. Um, Milwaukee, for example, I think they have a second baseman by the name of it's something Terang. I don't know if it's Bryce or whatever, but that kid's going to be a stud. So it'll be exciting to see how he does. But it, And then this familiar on new teams like Andrew McCutcheon, he's back with the Buck back back with the Buckos. It'll be exciting to see him in his first appearance with the spring in spring training. And then I'm obviously excited to see what Dansby does in spring training. But to me it's just more of uh, the players getting a feeling of their new teams or just a feeling of how they're gonna be this year. Spring training to me hasn't really been such a big deal. I more of an opening day type of guy, but to watch the prospects it's definitely gonna be exciting. Yeah, this is the time of year that you dream on those kind of guys. The optimism's going around. Uh, this year, especially with the World Baseball Classic happening, it's going to give a lot more time for the the prospects who aren't on those on those rosters to get some time in front of their big league managers. All right, hopping into this, uh, we've got some big old rule changes and schedule changes coming this year. Um, first off, we're dropping the divisional games from seventy six to fifty two. So each team will play division rivals 13 times instead of 19. Uh, those six per team don't seem like a lot, but in a in a division like the NL Central, you know, where you've got some you've got some middle of the pack teams. And I'm sorry, Ben, you've got some Reds and Pirates down there uh, for the teams that are trying to get a wild card spot or win the division. Those six games really matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's a fun change because I've always liked how the NBA does their schedule. When you consider 82-game season, you play every team um, in the entire league where you play the opposite conference once at home, once in their place, and then you're in conference, you play a little bit more. I like that the MLB has adapted this because I don't need to see, and maybe this is just because the Reds are facing teams better than them in their own division. I don't need to face Adam Wainwright five or six times throughout the season. I feel like by the 10th or 11th game, I'm just tired of seeing that lineup when you face them one series maybe even two series out of a month I mean there's times where you because of you do have to play them so many times where you face six out of nine games against the same opponent Mm -hmm. I really feel like I don't need to see that I don't need to see the same nine players in a lineup over and over again because it gets repetitive and I think that's what keeps in other leagues matchups so fresh whereas like take an example with the Bulls in basketball you're only seeing them play Steph Curry two times a year so you're tuned in whereas if I'm if I were to see Steph Curry play 10 different times, as good as he is, it's like by the end, okay, I kind of got the gist of it. Maybe that's not a great example. Maybe if he was a lesser fun to watch player, but still, I think it's good that you're going to get a taste of everyone in the league because before it was as Reds and uh, AL Central point, like the White Sox, you're only seeing the White Sox only once every three years when they rotate or the Reds are only traveling to Fenway once every couple of years, historic places like that. I think that adds some flavor. I think it adds some variety. And I'm for one, very excited that they added it in this year. Yeah. I'm excited to see uh, kind of like you said, with the NBA, obviously the NHL, they do the whole thing with, they play everyone too. And I think the MLB uh, just kind of got around all that uh, this year, obviously in the off season, they probably talked about playing everyone, but I think it's super cool. Um, especially to those just, those junkies who like to go to all the ballparks and, you know, they get to they get to see different teams. It's not like you're going to Great American Ballpark and seeing the Reds versus another National League team. You could be seeing them play the Yankees or something. So I think it's definitely unique that they're uh, playing a lot of different teams and just their rival teams this year. And I know you talked about it. 
But for the Cubs, they play the White Sox probably a lot more this year, and we were one and three against them last year. So I'm not excited about that, but I think it's definitely exciting that we're going to be able to go to Fenway. I I think we go to Fenway this year. I could be wrong about that, but nonetheless, we get to play the Red Sox, Yankees, the Blue Jays, teams that we usually wouldn't play. So I think it's definitely exciting. Yeah, speaking of those White Sox with the Cubs, uh, every team will have a geographical rival, um, someone in their state, city, or just close by. The Cubs obviously have the White Sox in Cincinnati. The Brewers get the Twins. The Cardinals get the Royals. Reds get the Guardians, Pirates, and the Tigers. Um, so they will be playing four games a year, I believe, and it'll be two at home and two away uh, for each team, and they'll be back-to-back. So you get a couple of two-game series there. I think that'll be a fun part of the season as well. Uh, moving on to the rest of the rule changes. These are more in-game than schedule. Uh, we've got bigger bases. Uh, the bases are going from 15 inches up to 18 on each side. Um, that means each base will be four and a half inches closer to each other. Uh, what do we feel about stolen bases here? I think it could think have an big. impact. Yeah, I honestly, this is a rule change where I really forgot about until it was just in the past couple of days where the picture kind of went viral of the old base on top of the new base. I'm sure you guys saw it. That thing mm-hmm. all day, it was just a couple of days ago, was for me, at least on Twitter the entire day, all these different reporters sharing it. I think it does make an impact and really... Uh, you brought it up right away for me. I didn't even think about just how much words, especially when you see these guys who slide to the outside part of the bag, maybe head first because the second baseman is playing on the other end. I mean, you have those three extra inches to work with where you can be as far away as possible. Maybe we get into the season and find really it's not as big of a difference as we think, but I mean, it's with so many of these calls coming down to just the last like couple, like less than a second to where the tag gets down before his hand gets there. I mean, when you have to just go a little bit less to get to second base or to get to third base, I mean that's that's big. I mean you have to you think of your more often than not it's so close in time where those three inches is going to really matter. I think uh, it definitely helps out those guys, those uh, those silky guys like a Javi Baez. You know they get the the bag a little bit bigger now. So like you said, Ben, they can go on the side of it. To me, I don't think it's going to be that much of a difference. I'll be excited to see what happens in the season, but I don't think it's that big of a difference. I think more than anything, it's going to help the replay reviews, um, but th- that's just because they'll be able to see if his hand's on the bag or something along those lines. But to be honest, I don't think it really makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it makes a difference. I love stolen bases. Those are one of the most fun things in baseball. Um, but also the material on the bases is changing because the main part of this is injuries and you don't want players breaking fingers, sliding in. They're given more space to reach around so that there's less collision. This I think that's the main part of it. Yeah. This is totally kind of like, which part of the game do you prefer? Do you prefer the offensive side or the pitching side? Because if you like offense, and this is going to get into what we'll talk about the shift in a second, these rule changes help offense. If that's what you're a fan of, then yes, you love this. But if you're a guy, and I'm not, I lean towards the offensive side, but you're a guy that likes to watch a pitcher's duel, then these rule changes aren't really helping you. But I think it's something that MLB really thought about with how much the game swung it swung back and forth between pitching and offense with the spider tack a couple years ago. And then last year with the home run being down, now you make another switch towards the offense. Like it, it, it will certainly, um, it will make one side very happy and the other very upset based on just what type of game you like to watch and observe. Yeah. Um, moving on here, speaking of swinging back to the offensive side, uh, pitch timers, um, we have 30-second pitch timer between batters, 15-second timer between pitches with no runner, and 20-second timer between pitches with a runner. And then finally, 
kind of complicated here. We have pitchers are allowed two pickoff attempts per at-bat. If they do a third attempt and it is not considered an out, then the runner advances automatically. So I foresee some big-time moments here where the pitcher has two pickoff attempts already and the batter or the runner is getting a big old leadoff because he's just baiting that last that last pickoff there. I think that could be, in certain situations, kind of a game-changer. Yeah, this is big. I mean, because there's so often where we see and a a bat be prolonged such an extended period of time because it is pickoff after pickoff, especially to first base. It dies down a little when you're getting into the second and beyond, but first base, I mean, I can think of examples where it's four or five times in a bat or even three or four times before even a pitch is thrown. So this is totally going to be, I mean, question I have is, does the pickoff attempts, it's just for the pitcher, right? It doesn't count for a catcher throwing down after a pitch. Yeah, I believe it's just okay. So, I mean, I think we see a little bit where, like, if after the second one, if the batter's getting a huge leadoff but not stealing, we see maybe the catcher throw down back behind him after a pitch and some kind of play is put on there. But it's certainly going to lead. I th- I think we could see maybe stolen base numbers as high as they've been this year. I know individually they haven't been as high lately. Like, we don't see a couple years ago where Billy Hamilton and, like, D Gordon were putting up plus 50-plus stolen bases. But I think overall we see maybe a higher number this year. One thing that I always enjoyed as a baseball fan was just going to the game or just watching on TV and having the opposing team just boo the pitch if it's going a pickoff time, like, seven yeah. times. I enjoyed that. So I'm a little upset that it's only two now, but – I understand that they're trying to make the game a lot quicker. You know, it's like a three-hour game usually, and you know, it, it's tough to it's tough to sit through one of those if you are really not a big baseball fan. Uh, but unfortunately for all three of us, or fortunately, we love baseball, so it's cool. And I know that you talked about the pitching timers. Isn't there a thing where if they don't get it in amount of time, it's like an automatic ball or an automatic strike, some along the yeah, line? Yeah, it's it's an automatic ball if the pitcher does not deliver a strike, or if the batter is not in the batter's box and set. That's very specific. Then it's a then it's a strike. So you could technically strike out uh, for not being ready. <laughs> I feel like that's gonna happen this year too. If, oh, if if striking out swinging is a forwards K and striking out looking is a backwards K, what is striking like out sideways. for not being ready? Is it an upside down K? <laughs> sideways K, upside down K. Yeah. K with like an exclamation point or like a sad face <laughs> or something like that. The, yeah. the first month, there's going to be some sort of like adjustment period or it's going to like, I yeah. don't know if this is the best example, but like when the NFL has added new rules, like the year they added in the roughing the passer or the one year where they had challenging a pass interference, like the first couple of games, it was called like every attempt possible. Whereas maybe it's not called as much, but it's like, we see it happen because people aren't used to it yet. I think the adjustment period is going to be interesting. Do we see happen maybe like throughout April? Now are those, does that happen in spring training? Yeah, they're starting that in spring training. So I think that's okay. kind of the warm up time. Sure, I would assume. Sure. Yeah, and I think um, each side has one timeout per at-bat. So if you're not completely set as a hitter, you can call timeout and take a breather and then take your time getting back into the box. So it's not like it's a hard and fast rule. You get one timeout. All right, uh, moving on, we're going to go into the rosters. We've got a whole lot of changes coming for these five teams here. Uh, we'll start off with the Reds. Ben, what do you think? Um, So for Cincinnati, I mean, it's kind of the offseason you would expect as to where it's a team that is small market. It's absolutely not an excuse, but they're just not going to spend big, at least not right now. I mean, 
historically, the Reds actually do spend a relatively average amount of money compared to where they're at. But just right now, they're not going to spend any money because they're not a, uh, not in a position to compete. Um, so I think it's basically what I expected, where they weren't going to be any big players. But I was surprised kind of that they went out and got a player of Will Myers caliber. It's very similar to what they did last year with Tommy Pham. Now, Tommy Pham honestly didn't put up that great of numbers in Cincinnati, but it was a situation where he's going to play out in the outfield and he's going to play a lot of innings. He's going to be up in the upper portion of the lineup. Like Tommy Pham hit third for a lot for the Reds through July. And Will Myers is probably going to do the same. I would expect Will Myers to be two, three, four, pretty much the entire portion of the season. And if he puts up great numbers and he's a guy that you could see moved out of Cincinnati come late July and you turn a free agent signing like that into some teams, I don't know, whoever prospect, like it happened with the Reds and Brandon Drew last year, then great. Mm -hmm. It's a massive win because you're not making this signing with the expectation that he's going to be a middle order of the bat in October when you're in a playoff chase. So, um, there's not a ton to hit on just because they were filling out some of the rest of the roster. I like the Kurt Casale move as well. A guy that really, I don't, you're not, it's not going to make waves whatsoever, but this is a team that saw Tyler Stevenson be hurt for a large portion of last year, once with a concussion and again with a shoulder injury and what they got from their replacement level catchers was just, it was nothing. It was, it was below 200. It was horrible. So they get a guy in Casale that was in Cincinnati for, I believe it was three seasons worked really well with pitchers. I mean, he, um, he had a stretch there in Cincinnati where he's catching Bow, where he's catching Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, and putting up really good numbers as the guy calling the signs. So he's a guy that, as a veteran, I'm excited just because as much as I like Tyler Stevenson, Casale can teach him a thing, thing or two, and Casale is going to be a huge benefit as a pitch framer to pitch caller for Hunter Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft, and so on. Other guys are going to come up. So that's the other one big thing I like, whereas he's not going to make waves with a bat. He would probably hit 230, which for me is a backup catcher. I don't really care because I know he's a guy that – behind the scenes is going to offer a lot of help to not only the Reds' main catcher of the future, Tyler Stevenson, and is also going to help the pitchers. So outside of that, I mean, they moved off a couple pieces. You're, you get rid of Kyle Farmer, a guy that Cincinnati fans for no reason loved because he was just a, a squarely average guy that played shortstop for a couple years. Um it's going to be interesting to see what they do at shortstop because they brought in Kevin Newman, although everyone who follows Cincinnati knows that their best prospect is a shortstop in Ellie De La Cruz. And their best one after that is also a shortstop in OLV Marte, who many think could eventually become a third baseman. So Newman is just a guy. He's a slap hitter. He's not going to hit for much power, but he's going to maybe fill that void for now if they don't turn it over to Barrero. But there's just not a ton to talk about here because their, their just main point of the offseason was <laughs> – bring in some depth, find guys to eat innings until the younger guys that are in the upper levels of minors get here and try to be slightly better than last year so you can put more butts in the seats in Great American Ballpark. Uh, yeah, so obviously with the Cubs, I said it already, but the first base thing, I I don't understand the signing of Hosmer or Mancini just because Mervis, I think, was truly ready to go and be that starter for the Cubs. But I understand they need a backup because they let Higgins go, who was a catcher. They let Rivas go, who was a backup first base when he played first. They let Frank the Tank go. So I can see why they did it. I just – I really wanted to see Mervis. And I'm sure we will see him sometime this year. And I'm not saying that, you know, maybe the Cubs start off as a 500 team and then at the trade deadline they end up getting rid of Mancini or Hosmer and then they have bringing up Mervis. But – for the most part, the one thing I think I'm excited for and I think all Cubs fans should be excited for is to see Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson in that 
in the middle infield. I think that is going to be exciting to, to really, really watch. Understanding well, Nico Horner, my guy, he's been phenomenal at second base and at shortstop. They moved him to second last year. He played a little bit of short, obviously, with Magical playing at second. But now you have Dansby Swanson in the true shortstop, and then you have Nico at second base, who they're just two magical wizards with their gloves. They can do amazing things. And then one thing I also want to talk about is getting Cody Bellinger. I think that's really good. I think a lot of Cubs fans are hoping that he'll be, you know, his 2019-18 self. I don't see it happening, but I'm very happy that he's going to be that center fielder because he's won a lot of gold gloves. He's going to be a great addition to an outfield that already sees Hap on one side and Suzuki on the other side. I think our outfield is phenomenal and will be very good. Third base is a little choppy for me because it's either going to be Morel or Wisdom. I'm leaning towards Wisdom. And then that DH spot, I, I really think the DH spot should have been Wisdom, but they may put him in that in, at, at, at third base, which I'm fine with. And then uh, backing up in the in, in the catcher spot is going to be Jan Gomes or Tucker Barnhart, which obviously Ben knows a little bit about Tucker Barnhart. I really enjoy watching him play, so I'm excited to see what he, he brings to the Cubs. Yeah, I just have a couple comments here on the Cubs side of things. I'm just confused about the direction I don't know what they're going to do with the deadline I think that's really going to be the key there because I'm looking at a lot of these signings Cody Bellinger one year Mancini two Barnhart two Michael Fulmer one Brad Boxberger one um, Eric Hosmer one so a lot of these guys uh, they're just here for one or two years that's obviously uh, they're they're setting themselves a deadline hey look we're going to compete right after these contracts that's that's the way I see it uh, here I'm wondering if they're bringing these guys on just to trade them or if they're bringing them on, um, seeing how they mesh with the team and then hoping to resign them. I, I don't really know because a lot of these guys are getting up there in age and I can't imagine a lot of these guys will have a lot of value uh, coming out of these contracts. I don't know what the direction is there. I think the direction's more or less like you just said. It's I hope it's not to trade them because that'll make me upset, especially if Bellinger is a decent hitter and then they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, he's doing good. Maybe get a prospect for him. But I do think the Cubs are still in that rebuild mode. Um, and obviously last year they let Peterson go at the trade deadline. Maybe even before they let a lot of other guys go at the deadline last year as well. So I think the Cubs are really just kind of to see how their first – uh, the first half goes, and that's why they signed a lot of these guys to one years. And obviously, Be Bellinger already said he signed one year because he wants to see if he can, you know, make a comeback and be his regular self again. I think a lot of these guys are betting on themselves with the one year. And then the other thing that comes into play is just Chicago's a great town to play baseball. So I think a lot of people just wanted the one year because they wanted to play at Wrigley Field and they wanted to play in front of the great fans in Chicago. So I think that definitely makes a, a big adjustment too. I don't know exactly what the plan going ahead is because I don't see this team being a playoff team or maybe even continuing to to try even get a wild card. I don't see that happening. I'm just excited to see them be a 500 team. Obviously, Dansby coming in saying that he wanted to come here because we're, we're in win now mode. That is a really big lie because I do not believe <laughs> now mode at all. We have a decent team, but a lot of it really just the I mean, you already know, our bullpen's probably the worst in the MLB. It's just bottom line. Our bullpen's horrendous. Michael Fulm is great. Uh, it's probably going to be one of our closers if, if he does get in that role. And then the starting the starting rotation, it has potential. I think that's kind of the Cubs' story this year. A lot of the guys have potential to be something. And if they're not, then the Cubs are going to be a really, really unfortunate team to watch this year. I set my expectations at a medium this year, not really high, not really low, just in the middle, because I'm excited that we got Dansby. I'm excited that, you know, they, they got Cody. They got a lot of these guys that are really just going to, to really put 
uh, butts in seats. I think that's really what it is. Uh, Wrigley should be sold out a lot this year unless the team, even if the team plays bad. I mean, last year they had a lot of sold out games even when the team was playing bad. So it's just a fun atmosphere to be in. And the, for the direction of the team, I really just really don't know. I think it kind of depends on how the first half goes. Yeah, I, I, I go ahead, Ben. I was going to say real quickly, I think when you look, and I don't expect them to repeat totally, They this was a really successful team second half of last year. I mean, down the stretch, it played very good baseball, the Cubs did. I don't know if they'll repeat to that low because I think if you spread out that, they were, I think, second half, one of the better records in the NL. I don't know if they go that yeah. over a full season, but the bullpen, when you look at last year, right, it was just over four and it was in the bottom third. I think it could see some slight improvement when you bring in the fact that you're going to add in Boxberger and Fulmer, guys that have pitch in higher leverage situations and they're also rumored to be interested in potentially bringing in a lefty where that could be a huge piece and then i believe isn't you you would look at potentially getting cody hewer back off the tommy john surgery or, oh yeah yeah so yeah. I, that's back no that, uh, say that again i think cody should be back shouldn't he didn't okay. he have tommy john yeah, he had Tommy John last year. It kind of it just depends on how long the recovery was. Um, I just know he was a guy that had some success in that second half of the 2021 season after coming over in the magical trade. So I think you look at that, maybe it would not shock me if this is a bullpen that maybe just gets to average and is in like the upper threes in terms of ERA. Um, so we'll see. And I think with the one-year deal, it's it is exactly where with Bellinger, it's absolutely if he rebuilds value, you resign him to a longer term deal. Um, with Hosmer, I don't think that's a guy that's here long term. At some point, like you need to fill out a lineup and you can't for a team that you expect to maybe play like they did the second half last year, you can't expect, I think, Mervis to come up right away and make a big impact. And it's also an insurance policy and in bringing in with Mancini and Hosmer to where um, if if they were to give him a big role and it doesn't pan out, you have them. And one of them's obviously going to play DH. So uh, I, I don't know if I would have predicted them to sign two. I think signing at least one is a good call. And for me, I probably would have preferred Mancini over Hosmer, but uh, I understand it there too. So, well, it, it'll be an interesting team because I think you made a good point, Adam. They're giving themselves kind of a deadline with these shorter term contracts to make their then next step to really take them to where they want to go and combine that with the fact that you're going to bring up Pete Crow Armstrong and Brennan Davis and so on. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm just not sold on the next wave of Cubs players yet. And I think that's what all these older deals trying to get them to the next wave. I think that's what I'm kind of skeptical on. Um, but moving on to my St. Louis Cardinals, um, honestly, kind of a quiet offseason. Uh, signing Wilson Contreras, five years, $87 million, um, from the good old Cubbies. Um, re-signing Adam Wainwright to one year, seventeen point five million, with an extra million tacked on for bonuses, possibly. Um, and then a reliever and uh, a Triple A shortstop, pretty much. That's pretty much all that the Cardinals did this year. And I, I, I feel like I've been saying this since twenty thirteen when the Cardinals won their last pennant. We're one thing away. For a while, it was a middle the it was a middle of the lineup hitter. We were one hitter away, and we added Goldschmidt, and then Arenado. I was like, okay, that's fine. And then the rotation felt like it was one ace away from being a real serious World Series contender. The Cardinals don't look like they have that ace ace that can go out and win you game one and game five in a postseason matchup. Um, so that's what I was really looking for there. But 
Wilson Contreras coming in, taking over um, the Cardinals' uh, Yadier Molina spot for the last 20 years. Um, that's big shoes to fill. I know we've got a Cubs fan in here. Um, I know that Wilson Contreras wanted to come to the Cardinals uh, because of Yadier Molina and the, and the way you know, that he talks about it. As he should, as he should. I, I love, I you know, I was happy that he's he's getting the love he deserves because the Cubs really treated him like a big old bag of sand. They really did. I mean, he's a great player. And to me, I really do think he puts you guys over the top. You just need another pitcher. Yeah, I think so, too. I think this team is better than it was last year, but I don't think it's I don't think it's where it needs to be to go compete with the Dodgers and the Mets and and the Braves, even without Dansby. I think it's still not at that level. Um but I mean, those are those are really all the additions. Just like Ben, it there's not really a whole lot to talk about without going into the full roster. I think the Cardinals, um, with Jordan Walker coming up, um, I'm excited to see that happening because you don't often see a um a number four in baseball prospect come up to an already contending team. Normally they're on the not so good teams, and that's pretty much their whole personality. But It'll be interesting to see how this 20-year-old kid comes up on a roster with uh, 35-year-old Goldschmidt, 32-year-old Arenado, um, 40-year-old Adam Wainwright. So I, I just I just want to see um, the Jordan Walker development take place, uh, not so much on the field, but off the field as well. Uh, that's what I'm more looking forward to is uh, seeing kind of how his mentality changes because I've been awfully disappointed with how Dylan Carlson has changed mentally since he's got to the big leagues um, in 2020. I think I think um, his on-field performance kind of reflects kind of his mentality that I've been seeing um, a little bit a little bit less than I would have hoped from him. Yeah, I mean, when you just talk about the point you made a moment ago, it's a luxury for sure to be able to continue to churn out talent like the Cardinals had um, at least what you would think will be talent. You can never say for sure with a prospect, sure. but yeah. I mean, I think one, the fact that the Cardinals, they, they could be paying Arenado a whole lot more than what they are and getting him to hop, opt back mm-hmm. in because he does enjoy playing in St. Louis and loves the team, I think is absolutely huge. But when you look at, at the Cardinals, it's a team that probably it, it early should easily win this division. I mean, the talent is there. I think yeah. The move last year to move Bader from Montgomery is going to still pan out really well. I mean, he's Montgomery's back with St. Louis, correct? I don't. He wasn't yeah. free agent. Was okay. So yeah, yeah. You you talk about him being there, and as soon as the move happened where you move off of Bader, who was hurt anyway, it seemed like Lars Newbar really started to turn it on and became an everyday type of player. And that's huge because then you knew what you were going to have with your other two outfielders with Dylan Carlson. And you would think Tyler O'Neill bounces back this year, but it's like we, or the Cardinals move an everyday player in Bader, but then Newbar steps up. So the, the, the lineup from top to bottom looks, looks pretty sad. You have the corner infielders, you know what you're going to get. You're up the middle is going to be some combination of, of Edmund, Brendan Donovan, whoever you want to mix and match there. And with, with um Newbar stepping up, you have your outfield Contreras. Like it's a team for sure that looks on paper, like they have the talent. It'd be nice to see for their sake, Jack Flaherty stay healthy. Cause you know what you're going to get mm-hmm. pretty much with, um, with Montgomery, with Wainwright, Michaelis, middle of the order, whoever's going to fill out the rest of that rotation. But it's just like, even if Flaherty is health, healthy, just imagine if you had that one ace to go out, like you said, one and five. And yeah. then in the middle games, you're rolling out Flaherty, Wainwright, and uh, Montgomery. I mean, like that's – you go with those yeah. three plus one more because it's basically a four-man rotation out the playoffs. I mean, that's that's pretty stellar. 
Yeah, I, I think I've been saying this for a couple years now. The Cardinals feel like a rotation of threes, top to bottom of threes in the rotation, which is good at the bottom, but you need that guy at the top. Yeah. Um, I think moving on here, we can go to the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, a team that surprisingly had kind of a big offseason. Um, getting Rich Hill, Carlos Santana, Andrew McCutcheon, Austin Hedges, Vincent Velasquez, uh, Yarlan Garcia, uh, Connor Joe, who I'm a massive fan of, uh, Dari Moreto, and G-Man Choi. I, guys, they kind of have a, a fun little roster going here. They've got a lineup that I don't hate. One thing that I, I really like about it, Adam, is I'm a huge Connor Joe guy too. I, I love Connor Joe. He's a great player. And having McCutcheon come back, that's that's that is sales right there. People are gonna want to see him play in the in a Pirates jersey again. And man, I already saw him I think social media in a Pirates jersey and he he looks good. It looks just like old times. I mean it's <laughs> and I've always liked him uh, as a pirate when he played. I didn't really like him when he moved to other teams, but for some reason, when he was a Pittsburgh Pirate and his, you know, the Kutch 22 and all that, I, I loved him. And he had the dreads and everything. Be excited to see if he goes back to the dreads. I don't think he will, but I really thought that uh, that was some cool times. Rich Hill, the one thing I can't stand about him is, is his grunting and moaning on the mound, but he's, he's so old. So, I mean, he has 45-something-year-old pitcher, so that's going to happen. But he's not a bad – he's a solid addition to that to that uh, starting rotation. And then – um. G-Man Choi, a lot of people aren't going to talk about him, but I went to a Rays game uh, last year in the summer, and just the ovation that that man got, I think he's going to be mm-hmm. a great clubhouse player for them, and he's going to be a, he's going to be a great player to watch. I think Pittsburgh is definitely going to win a couple more games than they did last year, just with the roster they have. Not, I don't really like Austin Hedges, but the team that he's on with the Pirates, I think he's just going to fit like a glove there, because he's not the best player, but he's in a perfect spot with Pittsburgh there to be their catcher. Yeah, this Pittsburgh team, I mean, it's not a team that's going to make the playoffs or really compete, but they are they are not wanting to be back in the number one pick next year, which, by the way, hate the lottery. Reds got hosed. Can't stand how that turned out. But regardless, (laughs) Pittsburgh does not want to be back with the odds for the number one pick next year. And they're going to add Dylan Cruz or somebody, whoever they decide to pick. But it's it's an offseason where since they were paying really no one, I said the Reds were going to pay anyone. The P- Pirates were spending no money last year. So they had the freedom to go out and sign some of these one year, however million dollar deals. It's a lineup where it's going to at least give you innings. It's going to be where like not McCutcheon. I don't see them moving off him, but it's where like you maybe can talk yourselves into like if some desperate team in July needs however many starts out of rich Hill and he's putting up a low four ERA at that point, like you move him for, some teams top 30 prospect or whatever it is. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. You're, you're filling out innings. You're trying to make it more competitive and you're bringing in a a mentor type of player in McCutcheon. Whereas you have, you have younger guys. No, they don't play the same position, but O'Neill Cruz could learn a thing or two from a guy who's won an MVP and has been the face of a franchise. If O'Neill is expected to take that step to be the next face of the franchise. I think Carlos Santana does the same thing. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that's been around. He's a guy that t- <laughs> takes walks, most importantly. And that's what <laughs> that's what some of these young prospects need to learn. And Carlos Santana, known for taking those walks. Yeah, no, I mean it's that that's another good example too with Santana. A guy that too was on a Seattle team last year down the stretch and saw that team develop and mm-hmm. break the playoff drought. Not that he's for going sure. to help Pittsburgh break their drought this year, but knows what a playoff push and what like a team developing into something that the city can get behind really means. So, I mean, that's, that's important is much as little as people bring it up. And we're, this is still a team that's going to push for 
I don't know, 75 wins, maybe. I don't know exactly how many they won last year. It was something in the 60s, like 62. Yeah. So maybe they push for 70 wins. 75 is probably too much. Maybe they push for 70 if they get some unexpected developments. But you think it yeah. will be more of a watchable product for those that are in Pittsburgh. I, I think this could be a team that you could potentially see play spoiler to uh, towards the end of the season. I mean, another guy that I, no one talked about, but I, I think is a great addition to that rotation is Vince Velasquez. I obviously, you know, last year, three and three, four, seven, eight, URA didn't have the best year, but I, I think he's really going to strive in Pittsburgh. I think that, you know, being one of the leaders on that rotation is definitely going to help them out. Uh, but I do believe this team could be definitely a play spoiler team towards down the end of the line. And one thing that I'm excited for, and I'm sure Adam is too, just seeing Connor Joe get to play a lot more. I mean, oh, last yeah. year, play as much, but 238 batting average. He gets on base. He's a great player. He's got a great glove. And I, he just knows the game so well. And I think he's going to fit in Pittsburgh super well. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, we can move on here to the last NL Central team, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, the team that have been really closest to the Cardinals the last couple years uh, in the division fight. Um, they add Wade Miley from Chicago. They add Owen Miller um, from, I think he was in Cleveland. Uh, they add William Contreras, Jesse Winker, Abraham Toro, um, and Jansen Junk. Um, I I really like their additions. I I still don't know if it's enough hitting to to get them there. I really do not believe in this lineup. I don't know guys, what it is. Three guys that jump off the bat right away when you said that was William Contreras. He's just an absolute stud of a catcher. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Wilson being his brother, they just obviously they trend so well to be a great backup back back uh back behind the dish player right there. Jesse Winker, Ben knows a lot about him. He's got a great bat. I think he fits well for this team. Maybe a DH spot. He'll probably play in the outfield, but see a DH spot. And another guy that a lot of people don't talk about, but he started off phenomenal with the Guardians last year. Owen Miller is a great player. I'm a, I'm a big Owen Miller guy. Yeah. Problem is, the Brewers have a guy in Bryce Terang who's probably going to get called up this year. And he's our second baseman, I believe, or is a shortstop. He's one of the two. I think he's a second baseman, and mm -hmm. Owen Miller plays yeah. that spot. So I don't know how many, how much they'll play. I don't know when they'll call up Terang. But this Brewers team, I don't think they got a lot better. They got a decent amount better because they got, you know, they got a better catcher now, and they definitely have better hitters, even with Contreras and Winker. But I don't see them overtaking the Cardinals for the division. No, I don't see them overtaking the Cardinals either, but I think I would feel comfortable picking this team to make a six or seven seed because it's a team that was in that hunt, even a hunt for the division as late as late July. And I think the Brewers have some real bounce back candidates. Number one, the hater thing, I get what the Brewers front office was doing. I think it shook up that team more than people will admit. And I really like a full off season with Devin Williams knowing and preparing as the closer. I think as even though he had done it in spots when Hader was given the night off before, I think shifting into that role full time and you saw his numbers not be as great once taking over that role. I think now for full off season, that's a bounce back candidate there. Winker, I think has to be better than how it went in Seattle because one, mm. he gets traded to Seattle like this time last year. It was a, as soon as the lockout ended, it was a week before spring training started when he got dealt to Seattle. So another thing, full off season in Milwaukee in not the most hitter friendly ballpark, but far more hitter friendly than what Seattle was. Maybe he doesn't hit the three hundreds that he did in Cincinnati, but he is a guy I think it hit two eighty, which is better than what it was last year as a Mariner. That's another bounce back candidate. Willie Domus, I think, could take another step. So it's a team there who I, I I like a couple 
different players throughout their lineup to take steps forward to help them return to the playoffs because you know the pitching is going to be there which by the way Mm -hmm. they picked the wrong fight over 750 grand with corbin burns oh Um, yeah that is going to come back that is going to come back to bite them um when it comes long-term contract time but i i think that's just a team when you look at the they're going to obviously beat up on the on the pirates and the reds in the division and they'll beat the other nl weaker teams if they can just play decent enough with the pitching that they have and the bats show up on average amount of times i think it's a team that could find themselves in a wild card spot maybe they they push the cardinals a little bit i don't think it's a division winning team but it's it's like they i believe were the first team out of the playoffs last year i mean like the phillies got the final wild card and they were the next team out so when you consider i think the roster gets a little bit better and has some bounce back candidates a contender to make the playoffs and they steal a wild card series, maybe. Like if if it if you sat there and told me Brewers get in as a wild card and they face the Cardinals in the first round, the Cardinals are a better team, but it's like it, in a three game series, could Brandon mm-hmm. Woodruff and Corbin Burns steal two from you? Especially what we mm-hmm. talked about with the Cardinals not having that guy, I wouldn't be shocked. That's what we saw with the Phillies last year. The Phillies yeah. had those two guys at the top of the rotation steal a series, go on to the win the pennant. Yep. So I, it's, I've, it's not a team where it's like, I'm not putting them anywhere near up there with the Mets or the Padres, but it's, you see, I I think Craig Council is still a really good manager and it's like, even more, you mentioned that with Wheeler and, and Nola helping them steal that one, you think they even have a third one in Freddie Peralta, who is certainly had this moment. So I, I think Milwaukee did what they could, because they're also another team that likes to operate under a strict budget. So for pulling Contreras out in a trade. They didn't really give up a whole lot for Winker. They also get Toro, who had his moments, and I think can play multiple mm-hmm. positions on the infield. I think he can play second, first, I believe, um, yeah. even third. So it's I think they, Colton they, Wong was a big was a big price though. I mean, they, yes. they did give up Colton Wong for him, and he is a perennial um gold glove candidate over there. Yep. So I, I think that is a big loss. But if Jesse Winker is the Jesse Winker he was in Cincinnati, then that is well worth the price. They also got a, a guy that's going to bring in some ribbies for them in Brian Anderson. I, I think that that's a decent little pickup for him as well. Yeah, I um, I, I I like Brian Anderson. He's been good for me in franchise mode a couple times in MLB The Show. Um, I've seen some Brewers fans saying that this was like the pickup of the offseason. I am not on board with that, but um, yeah. I, I I do think he could get some get some value there. All right. Um, well, those are all five teams. We've gone over these rule changes. Um, we will be coming back to you guys soon, uh, with another episode towards the end of spring training, just kind of talking about, uh, lineups, prospects, the way things are starting to shape up once we get towards the season. And then we'll be rocking and rolling just about every week, uh, throughout the season, talking about, uh, then division here. We'll also probably give our prediction for the season. And uh, if you want to, for the next show, we could maybe uh, go over our what we think might be the starting rosters and or like the starting lineup. Yeah, for sure. We can do that. We'll get that going. Um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been the NL Central Whip Around. You guys, anything? You guys have anything last to say? No, I'm I'm excited. It's, the show is gonna be fun. The red season may not be at least in terms of wins and losses, but uh, hopefully next time, which will be maybe three-ish weeks from now when we're getting into mid-March in about a week and a half or two weeks from spring training. Hopefully, I've got some some lineups ready to go and some fun predictions for both prospects and starting lineups.
I think uh, one thing to add uh, is just to all the baseball fans, uh, if you have big NL Central fan, I don't, I don't, Pirates, even if you're a Brewers fan, you should still listen to us. Even if you're a Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers fan, we all know our baseball really well. And if I think you would learn a lot just by listening to this podcast right here. I think if you're a big baseball fan, you'll really enjoy it, especially if, if you're a fan of an NL Central team. I think all three of us have knowledge, really well knowledge in our baseball teams. And I just think it's it's going to be something fun for, for everyone. Yeah, for sure. I love this division so much. It's got some of the oldest, most historic franchises with the Cubs, Reds, Pirates, um, just everyone but the Brewers, pretty much. I I I'm I just hate the Brewers. Maybe that's why I'm not sold on their on their roster. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you guys in a couple weeks.